Our guest today has combined his love for volunteer medical work with his passion for flying. While a fourth-year medical student, he fell in love with North Carolina's Outer Banks and Ocracoke Island off Cape Hatteras. After he established his private practice in Durham, North Carolina, he searched for a way to provide care to the 400 residents of isolated Ocracoke Island. He solved that problem by getting his private pilot's license. Now he commutes to Ocracoke one weekend a month to conduct his house call practice. This is Clinician's Roundtable, and I am Dr. Andrew Wilner. With me today is Dr. John Kim, an internist in private practice in Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Kim, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. Dr. Kim, can you tell me exactly what drew you to Ocracoke Island? I'm from Michigan, and during medical school clerkship in Richmond, Virginia, I had camping gear with me, and so I decided to just do a trip down to the Outer Banks, a camping trip down to Cape Hatteras. And so I drove down there from Richmond, Virginia, and just fell in love with the Outer Banks, the ocean, the beach, the people, the whole thing. I was really drawn to it. And Ocracoke was an additional trip off the tip of Cape Hatteras to the Ocracoke Island. And again, it was just an adventure. And from the very first visit, I just wanted to come back. And you did. But it seems like a big step to get a pilot's license to make house calls. Which came first, your passion for flying or your need to get to Ocracoke? Truly, it was a combination of things that got me going into flying. My father is a pilot, a semi-retired orthopedic surgeon. And I had visited Ocracoke a number of times each year for family visits with my wife and young children. And I decided that I would like to become more involved with the people of Ocracoke. And I had read numerous books on the culture of Ocracoke. It's an isolated island community. And it was said in the books that only people who were born on Ocracoke were really allowed into the inner circle of the people who lived there. So I decided that if I became their physician, that I could learn more about them and learn the culture and meet more of the people. And so on one of my trips, I introduced myself to a physician's assistant who is staffing the little clinic they have. I offered to cross cover. And so exactly 20 years ago, I did my first week on Ocracoke and just kept coming back. So after that first week driving there, it's a seven and a half hour drive from Durham to get actually to that clinic on Ocracoke after driving down the Outer Banks and taking their ferry boat, I decided the only really practical way to come back on a regular basis would be to learn to fly. So truly, I learned to fly so that I could see the patients on Ocracoke. And also my family in Michigan and Florida, I decided that flying would be a nice way to visit my family as well. But you were familiar with flying, with your dad being a pilot. You know, a lot of people think flying is uh, dangerous, and they'd never even consider it. But I guess it was a natural option in your case. Yes, my passion for Ocracoke and its people came before the flying part. It's something that I had wanted to do for quite a while, but it was not in any way natural. It took probably 30 flights for me to actually feel in control and natural at flying the plane. Like taking up any new skill, there were hurdles, but it was doable. Well, tell me about a typical flight. Do you go by yourself or do you have a team? Generally what I'll do a week or so before I hope to visit Ocracoke, I'll start looking at the weather. And I can visit Ocracoke just about any weekend. It's easy for me to get there now. And so I'll go when the weather is favorable. I don't need to get involved with thunderstorms or icing, et cetera. So I'll start looking at the weather about a week out. And then by Wednesday, before a weekend, 
the other is becoming more and more clear, and I'll make my decision then that this is a probable go-type weekend. Then on Thursday and Friday, we'll contact patients on the island to see who needs to be seen and what they might need. And then we'll give them a date that I'll be there, usually Saturday and or Sunday. And then typically, I'll bring with me patient records, any equipment that I need, whether it's just blood pressure cough or even I do skin surgery in patients' homes, so I may bring a surgical kit, et cetera. So I'll make sure that I have necessary gear. And then the morning of the trip, I would head out to the airport after checking the weather and load up and make the flight. And typically, I will bring people with me, whether it's my own family or my last visit two weeks ago, I brought an internal medicine resident from the University of North Carolina and another recent medical school grad. And we went out and did house calls that day. But it might be just aviation enthusiasts who I know, friends. Once in a while, I'll do a training flight with a flight instructor practice on instruments, et cetera. So it's seldom that I actually go alone. I'll usually share the trip with someone else. You did say it's an island, so I guess some of that flight is over the uh, ocean. Does that require any special consideration? Oh, yes. Everything about this trip is geared towards safety. You know, I'll be in constant contact with air traffic control. There is a stretch of about 20 to 25 miles over water, the Pamlico Sound, between the mainland and the Outer Banks. And I will fly at an altitude which would be safe to glide to land in the event of engine outage. And so everything is planned for that unlikely event. I also carry life vests in the aircraft, but I've never actually had any sort of mishap. But yes, part of flying an airplane involves being prepared for the unexpected. Is there an organization that's dedicated to physician pilots? Yes, there is. I'm a member of that organization, the Flying Physicians. And that organization has been around for 40 or 50 years. It's a group of doctors of all specialties and all reaches of the United States. We get together to share ideas, medical topics, aviation stories, general camaraderie. We meet several times each year, and there's a publication, etc., I would think physicians are busy, and I mean, how many hours do you have to do to keep up your skills in the plane? Yes, to maintain proficiencies is incredibly important, and it is an obligation to both oneself and to his passengers to maintain that proficiency. So most people who fly are passionate about flying, and those things that we are passionate about, we tend to be able to find time to participate in that activity. So I'll try and fly two, three, four times a month just to maintain proficiency. And then, of course, these cross-country trips to Ocracoke and various parts around the United States also help maintain the proficiency. But that's always an item on the agenda. It is an obligation. And there have been instances where people who did not maintain proficiency did run into trouble. So it's always first and foremost for safety just to stay practiced. It's one thing if you get a little rusty playing the piano, but it's another if you get rusty as a general aviation pilot. Yes, that is definitely the case. It's a lot of fun to fly an airplane, but there's a lot to be careful about. The plane itself, weather, distractions that can occur. So there is quite a bit to it. And most of the pilots, for example, in the Flying Physicians Organization, myself included, are instrument rated. So that adds a huge layer of protection 
having the skills to fly on instruments if needed. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and I'm speaking with Dr. John Kim and his passions for volunteerism and flying. Now, most people think about medical missions occurring in exotic places. For example, I go to the Philippines every year, but I understand that many of your medical missions are in the United States with a group called the Remote Area Medical Group. Can you tell me about those? Yes, sir. Medical missions, the way that I see it, there are different levels of medical missions. For example, this afternoon, I volunteered at the homeless shelter on the other side of Durham. So they're local. And then Ocracoke is intrastate. It's just halfway across the state of North Carolina. And then remote area medical, I look at as an interstate type project. Remote Area Medical is a wonderful organization founded by Mr. Stan Brock, who co-hosted on Wild Kingdom, to use aviation to basically help other people. So Mr. Brock started this organization two or three decades ago with the idea of flying to people who needed help. And to this day, that is the aim of that group. Remote Area Medical is based in Knoxville, Tennessee, and most of the work Remote Area Medical does is in the Appalachians of Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee. And so what they'll do is they'll typically fly in and bring in trucks as well to an airport in the Appalachians and set up a clinic to run for a weekend. And volunteers come in from many places across the United States it's not so far for me to get there, so it's, it's easier to do. And typically, they'll see around 1,000 patients in a two-day time period to include dental work, eyeglass prescriptions, and the medical-type work that I do. So it's a wonderful organization. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee two weekends ago for one of these events, and it's just the camaraderie. And I guess anybody who's done medical missions understands the feeling of people working together to help other people. It's just a wonderful experience. If I wanted to find out more about the Remote Area Medical Group, how would I do that? Well, it's very simple. They have a great website. It's ramusa.org. And it's a very user-friendly website. Simply go to the volunteer page, click on volunteer, and there's a schedule that comes up. Generally, they're doing, looks like, two events per month for the next, gosh, all the way through November. Simply pick out an event that works with your schedule and sign in the volunteer page, and you'll be up and running. So this is a non-governmental volunteer organization. It's an independent charity, effectively. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. It's just wonderful how it works. They take donations and just basically get a large number of people together to help out an even larger number of people. And it totally works. At this last Knoxville, Tennessee event, there were 480 volunteers to see some 1,200 patients. And it's so well organized that the handful of full-time workers at RAM are able to corral all the volunteers into their respective areas and set up for the patients to be seen in these different aspects. And it just flows. It's just complete with interpreters and, gosh, women's health. It's amazing. Dr. Kim, I'm inspired. It's been great talking to you about your passions for volunteerism and flying. Many thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. To access this episode and others in this series, and to download the ReachMD app, please visit ReachMD.com. 
where you can be part of the knowledge. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. Thank you for listening.